Welcome back to episode 65 of Sporting Max. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link, connecting you and your business with the biggest stars in the world through events and experiences. Please welcome number 65, former Melbourne United Championship star and sports bet brand ambassador, Felix Von Hoef. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max. Today we're joined by former Melbourne United Championship player, current Melbourne Tiger in the NBL One, uh, and sports bet brand ambassador Felix von Hoff. Welcome to the podcast, Felix. Uh, it's amazing to have you on. How you going? Good, mate. Look at you, just in a cold <laughs> shirt, the headphones. I've just come in the, the hoodie and a <laughs> an old St Mary's Gales cap. I've been showing up. <laughs> Um, thanks for coming on, Felix. I really appreciate it. Um, I'd like to start off with you know, your childhood and what growing up was like for you. Yeah, well, I was really lucky. You know, I, I come from a really good family, so it was we were always well looked after, that sort of stuff. And mum's mm-hmm. a nurse, dad's an engineer, so they've got they've got the brains. Yeah. <laughs> somehow I missed out on any of that, but mm-hmm. I was made tall and gangly, which was a good <laughs> recipe for basketball. So, so they got me a basketball hoop in the backyard, went to Middle Park Primary, sort of got into it then, was never hugely into it through primary school, was, mm-hmm. was, was never very good, that sort of stuff. But then sort of had a bit of a growth spurt once I hit high school, mm-hmm. started getting into it a lot more. And then from then on, it just ended up basketball sort of became the, for a long time, the, the be all and end all. So, you know, you, you get mm-hmm. so obsessed with your sport. And I, I was like that at times where, you know, you know, I didn't go out that much when I was in high school. And I look back, I've definitely made up for that now. <laughs> definitely made up for that now. But no, I was definitely, um, I definitely had a re- really good childhood. So as a kid, I know you mentioned before, you weren't, you were into basketball, but not as much as you were, you know, in your high school years as a kid. What type of player were you around the age of sort of 15, um, and, you know, what was your role in the team? Well, 15, so I was always a taller player that could shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. And that used to be a really rare thing. Yeah. So it was even even at 6'6 six, six and that sort of stuff, you know, I was, mm-hmm. I was fairly tall at that sort of age of 15. But there wasn't that many specialist shooters. Mm-hmm. And then Steph Curry came along yeah. and everyone <laughs> could shoot the ball. So yeah. I, I was no longer <laughs> special. But, but no, I was, I was definitely a, a shooter from mm-hmm. outside and that was that was the way that I grew up it was, it was the way that I made a lot of teams and I think even at that age of 15 I realized like you know what I'm not I'm not the most athletic guy mm-hmm. can't jump that high <laughs> so I'm gonna have to learn some sort of skill I'm not a great ball handler so I'm gonna have to learn some sort of skill to be able to make these teams that mm-hmm. maybe I don't have the total overall skill package to necessarily make but then because I was an elite shooter I had that one Sort of tool yeah. that allowed me to get onto all these sort of teams. Um, so, like you mentioned, those teams, um, I believe you represented Australia at the under-17s and under-19s level and also um, representing multiple Victorian teams. Um, what does your uh, representing your country or a state team mean to you? Oh, amazing. Absolutely amazing. I feel so bad for the kids who've missed out mm-hmm. with COVID on going to nationals. Yeah. I look back, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to go to you know, the two world championships and a whole bunch of nationals. And when I look back, I probably look, because the world championships are very serious. Everyone's there. There's a lot of scouting. There's a lot of prep. It's, you know, everyone's nervous. Mm -hmm. Whereas the nationals, it's a lot lot more fun. You know, the guys are staying up 
till 4 a.m. the night before the game playing yeah. cards. <laughs> it's a lot looser. And it sort of helps. But in, in our days, Vic Metro would just dominate everyone. Mm-hmm. So we could roll in and the Northern Territory didn't really have much chance of stopping us whether we were playing cards late at night or not. So, but now it's actually a lot more even. Mm-hmm. So now in you know, New South Wales and it's, it's you, you see Queensland winning at times. Mm-hmm. So it is a lot more even on the, on the state level. But the, yeah, the world championship sort of stuff. I've got, I've got, you know, Nikola Jokic. Yeah. So Nikola Jokic was playing for Serbia and he was the backup center on the end of their bench in oh. under 19s. So <laughs> their main center got injured. And our coach, our scout said, go at this guy. He sucks. He's terrible. Oh. But went out there. He was terrible. He could barely catch the ball. And we were like, just go at this guy. Go at this guy. <laughs> I'm watching the NBA draft four years later and he gets picked up. And then all of a sudden, <clears> he's winning <throat> the NBA MVP. So nobody yeah. knows how Nikola Jokic turned from being one of the worst players. Um, world championship experiences. Um, you know, what's it like at the Worlds and obviously with fierce competition? It's really cool. Like, obviously, the, the the team that everyone looks out for at that sort of stuff is Team USA because mm-hmm. you've got a whole bunch of guys, where, you know, you, you've seen them on hoop mixtape and YouTube yeah. videos <laughs> and all of those sort of things. So it's like in my mm-hmm. – under the main guy in the under-17s was Jabari Parker. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, number one ranked player, Gatorade player of the year in the state. So you'd seen all these yeah. videos <laughs> offline and you come out there. And I remember I matched up. The world championships themselves are a little nerve wracking because everyone's, you know, for, for a lot of guys, just putting that green and gold on, there's a lot of pressure. You've got, yeah. you know, when you, when you play the nationals, there's not, not necessarily a lot of people watching. They'll just check the scores and a lot of people stream <laughs> these games. So it's it's definitely the, it's the biggest stage that anyone's played on <laughs> at that level. And there's also a lot of people watching, you know, guys want to go to college. They want to do all these other things. You at just the start of that um, Eastern Washington College um, and you're sort of four years at college. Yeah, so Eastern Washington, God, it, it, I always tell people that even if they're not playing a sport, go over to college for a semester, mm-hmm. a quarter, whatever it is, because it's, I don't, you might be a bit too young to be watching the movie <laughs> American Pie, but I, you never know what kids watch these days. But it's it's so stereotypical American and it's such an amazing experience yeah. <laughs> compared to anything that you would ever get over here. And there's, mm-hmm. you know, things that we can't say on this podcast <laughs> that go on over there that make it a very interesting <laughs> But it's just, yeah, it's, it's, I couldn't speak more highly of the experience from a basketball standpoint. Like you look at, there was games where we played Indiana in front of, you know, 13,000 people in this Coliseum-style mm-hmm. stadium where it's the, the, the noise is deafening. Yeah. And then you come over here and you, you play professionally, and, and obviously we'll get into that later, but you just can't compare it with the atmosphere of where you've got, mm-hmm. you know, you might have a family sitting there eating chicken wings. Yeah. <laughs> the old game, just sort of being quiet, whereas it's a bunch of angry college kids yelling whatever they want mm-hmm. at a college game. And, and the <laughs> cool thing about it, you know, you You'd, you'd go to class with the people that are in the crowd. You'd, mm-hmm. you'd have these so many connections. And you've got the, the interactions with um, the crowd. It's not just, you know, they're strangers that um, you see in the no. crowd from on the court. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it made it a really cool experience, especially like playing on the road was a different beast because mm-hmm. it's, and especially someone like me that likes to talk, <laughs> yell and get yeah. a bit up and about. I was always a bit of a beacon for mm-hmm. <laughs> other people's <laughs> crowds to go out, which was fine. I, I, I enjoyed yeah. it. But at home, yeah, that's one of the most special things about college basketball that I remember is playing in a game or you're never going to get that experience anywhere else where you're in this 
sort of in, in the middle of this place where everyone you care about, obviously <laughs> your family's not there because they're over, but all your friends are in the crowd, your professors, <laughs> your teachers, yeah. everyone that you have, the people who run the bar downtown, that everyone <laughs> together, comes together for this game. And, and it's just, it's a really special community thing to have. And I just don't think mm-hmm. we have that anywhere over here. So when you came back um, to Melbourne, how did you find adjusting um, back to Australian basketball compared to that college basketball environment? Yeah, well, the interesting thing for me, because once I finished college, I sort of said to myself that I wanted to take the media route mm-hmm. and do the stuff that I'm doing now. But I thought, you know what, you, you've got to give basketball a crack and, yeah. and do it for a little bit. <laughs> So, because you can't, you do all that for four years, getting yelled at by college coaches. You're like, oh, may as well just give, may as well get paid yeah. for it. <laughs> um, so I came over, and the the transition was definitely like I think the speed of the game is similar, mm-hmm. but it's just the physicality of professional basketball at any level is such mm-hmm. a step up. Well, you look at a guy like Dave Barlow, and it's even someone like Chris Golding. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily look super strong, but when you come from a college environment, you come over, this guy will just goes straight through your chest. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> Not a muscle in his body. What is uh-huh. what's happening here? You just get they get they have that old man strength and they're mm-hmm. smart. And I think that's the thing that's hardest to catch up with. But yeah, you know, it was I, I remember my my debut game against Adelaide. Mm-hmm. We had uh Craig Moller wasn't having a great game, so he came out. I went <laughs> in and I put up six three-point shots <laughs> in I, I think it was a seven-minute span uh-huh. and missed them all. <laughs> so I went 0 for six of my debut which I, I think would go down as the worst debut on nbl record wow. i don't think anyone's missed that many <laughs> consecutive shots in such a small span of time yeah so at least yeah, I, I do hold that record but yeah it was an interesting thing when i came back because i was mm-hmm. i was definitely interested in doing the media more than the basketball side of things and a lot of guys mm-hmm. when they go over to college end up thinking that you know you, you mm-hmm. get exposed to so many more different avenues of you know i did a bit of journalism stuff over there a bit of media stuff at college yeah and i was like you know what I, the the same thrill that i get it's like with you you, you love hosting this podcast you do a great yeah. job and you get that sort of thrill when you host it the same as what you would in a basketball game and i yeah. started finding that you know when that red light on the camera turns on for a racing broadcast or mm-hmm. any sort of broadcast I get that same thrill that I would in a basketball yeah. game, but I'm not sweating and I'm not getting hit. <laughs> so and and you've got to take out the injuries and things like that. Oh, I'm not getting, I'm not getting, <laughs> unless I fall off my chair, I'm not getting yeah. injured. Or someone, <laughs> some drunk bogan throws a beer can at me from the back yeah. of the crowd. That's probably the only way I'm getting injured, which I won't write that off. It may happen. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think I found that. So I was definitely, it, towards the back end of my time at Melbourne, I was, you know, I was, I was ready to try other things, but I definitely, mm-hmm. I loved every minute of it. So how did you get that opportunity with Melbourne United for that season? You know, coming into a star-studded team, Chris Golding, Dave Barlow, like you mentioned before, Craig Moller, um, I think it was David Anderson, Casper um, Ware, and obviously Casey Prather. Yeah, no, it was, it was, I was very lucky to be able to get a, get a gig there. I'd sort of come back and trained with them in all of my off-seasons, mm-hmm. and Melbourne United did a really good job with that. I, I know I've, like, teams did that but it was um, Victoria had a lot of guys coming back from college yeah so Melbourne United did a really good job of getting everyone in and having them train with the team Mm -hmm. sort of you know in that because it matched up pretty well with the off-season period Mm -hmm. so you'd have these scrimmages where there'd be six seven guys that were back from college yeah in between freshman sophomore junior year that would always come back and play so you sort of developed a relationship and then you know as soon as I came back we sort of worked it out pretty quickly I definitely didn't want to come 
after living mm-hmm. four years in the States, I didn't want to go to <laughs> Perth or, you know, one of those weird states like Adelaide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so I was definitely keen to stay in Melbourne. I wasn't really mm-hmm. too concerned with money or anything. I wasn't going to hunt a, you know, a better deal elsewhere. I was, mm-hmm. I know Sydney was an option, but then I, I definitely just wanted to be around family for the first time mm-hmm. in a long time. So, yeah, it was, it was a pretty simple one. Um, can you describe to me your championship experience in that 2017-18 season? Oh, God. I thought, can I remember it after the celebration? <laughs> <laughs> um, I th- look, I think the coolest part of that was that, and what made it so special, was that everyone during the year, the, the target was on our back. Yeah. And everyone was saying that, you know, there was a period there where we lost like you know, six, seven games in a row. Mm-hmm. And everyone was, oh, they're done. You know, they're, Melbourne United are just buying a championship. So it was this yeah. really cool us versus them mentality. Mm-hmm. And I think the one thing that shone through was, was Chris Golding's um, leadership mm-hmm. during all that sort of stuff, which I'd never experienced. I thought, oh, surely this guy's he's just shooting threes. He's flopping. Yeah. He's going to yeah. be selfish. That sort of thing. But I was, I was shocked. And I always tell people that it was the biggest shock for me that year was Chris Golding is one of the best leaders of mm-hmm. a team that I've ever played with in my life. And mm-hmm. it really amazed me, his ability to – sort of interact with everyone and, and mm-hmm. while being this sort of flamboyant character that yeah. the other teams hated, was so loved by his teammates and mm-hmm. also had that ability to lead. Like, you know, when he fires up, mm-hmm. Melbourne fires up. And I think yeah. it was really <laughs> in the grand final series just go nuts. And yeah. the crowd's yelling at him and he's just cashing it, cashing it, cashing <laughs> it. Like that. But then, yeah, that was cool. We, you know, we get, the, we get in the locker room after that, you know, throwing the champagne mm-hmm. all around yeah. and, and that sort of stuff. So it's there's that's the best moments you'll get in mm-hmm. sport. You know, there's there's the moments of winning a championship mm-hmm. and then there's all like the, the so that euphoric feeling of being with your mates, like this is one of the best moments of your lives, going nuts, is sort of like a, a team dinner on steroids. Where yeah. you're, all, you know, you're, you're all out there having fun and then, and that for yeah. me is the best part of team sport mm-hmm. is that those, those camaraderie sort of events and then you, mm-hmm. you take that and you add a championship on top of it then it just takes it to a whole nother level. Um, I remember reading and hearing um, in 2017-18 season um, when Casey Prather went out, um, people and I think media outlets or something like that were saying, you know, they're done. Casey Prather's gone, even though you still got Casper where Chris Golding. And then you bring in Carrick Felix and it's like, hold on. And then he takes a bull by the horns and just comes in and just takes everyone by storm. And then obviously still like, what a great man for him to stick around. Um, he could have just left the team, but no, he decided to stick around for the championship. For sure. Apparently, the Felix we had wasn't good enough, so they had to bring in an NBA <laughs> yeah. Carrick Felix that came in. But no, okay, the Carrick came in, and Casey Prather as well is such a good guy. Like, he got injured mm-hmm. and was still, you know, up on the sidelines. Sometimes with these imports, it's a do-or-die sort of mm-hmm. league. You know, they'll they'll get hurt and they'll just they'll leave. They'll take off, they'll, yeah. Yeah, they'll, they'll leave. You know, they're, they're just look, they're it's not their, money. it's not their home country. No, it's not their home country. Mm-hmm. Are they going to see these guys again? Probably not. You know, <laughs> maybe, you know like a couple yeah. of my stupid cup photos. <laughs> That's about it. But Carrick Felix, when yeah, Casey, Casey was fantastic when he got hurt. And Carrick mm-hmm. came in and he knew that it was a star studded team. Mm-hmm. And as much as he had NBA experience and he actually played in the NBA mm-hmm. and he had the ability to score in pretty big numbers in the NBL, in my opinion. He came in and they said, your role is to just lock down on the defensive end. We've got Chris to score, we've got Casper to score. And for a guy like that to sit back and say, oh, you know what? Because when they're looking for jobs elsewhere, Mm -hmm. teams look at stats. 
So yeah. if he's willing to sacrifice <laughs> scoring here and just be a defensive player, it could hurt your future job prospects, mm-hmm. especially when you're coming from the NBA down to the NBL. Yeah. You want to be putting up big numbers. So for him to do that, I thought was incredibly selfless. Mm-hmm. And then he he got so connected to the group, of course, even when Casey came back in, yeah, he was um you know, he was still yelling, getting in fights in the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> in Adelaide, I think it was game four mm-hmm. when we were in Adelaide. Game four or five. But we mm-hmm. were both sitting in the, uh, both sitting behind. I'd done my knee at that point. Mm-hmm. And we were both sitting in the stands. And these guys are yelling. And Carrick just gets up and starts yelling back at them. And screaming, <laughs> I'm standing behind Carrick. <laughs> behind behind him there. But no, he was, yeah. was a fantastic. I think, and one of the keys to success in the NBL is getting imports in that are like that. Like Perth's done a great job with that. The, real, the character evaluation. Because sometimes when you get journeymen that have bumped around from league to league, whether mm-hmm. from Europe or America, you can get some questionable characters. <laughs> New Zealand, Glen Ross. <laughs> yes. Very unusual cat. Very yeah. talented. But your team's not going to win with a guy like that in the locker room. And I hope yeah. you're not listening to the podcast. Because yeah. you're still <laughs> yeah. But getting guys like that is so integral to success. And I... I it definitely was a massive, massive factor in the championship was Carrick Felix's selfishness. Um, so how did you then transition? Um, I know you always wanted to go to that media side um, of sports, but how did you make the move um, after that season with United to get to that media side of sport? Yeah, well, I sort of, um, there's a lot to be said on sometimes you just land on your feet. And, and mm-hmm. I, I tell that to people a lot because, you know, a lot of people say, geez, you got, you got a pretty nice job. Like it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a very enjoyable job. <laughs> job. Yeah. I, that I get to do. I talk about racing and, and all these mm-hmm. other things that people, other people, other people out there would love to do as well. But just it's very hard to get those opportunities. Yeah. There's not only so many of those those jobs going around. And you know, we live in a world now where it's like you're doing the best thing you can, which is starting your own podcast now, and you're gonna have mm-hmm. a million episodes by the time <laughs> you get into the sort of workforce stuff. Mm-hmm. But no, for once I finished, I sort of I finished without a plan. So I, I said, you know what, I wanted to get into media. And I woke up the next morning. I think, okay, well, damn. Now, now, now I got to actually find a job. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things. You quit your job and then you find a job later. Usually you've got something lined up before you do that, but I'm not like mm-hmm. that. I'm sort of, you know, I just want to get straight into stuff. And luckily, yeah. Lauren Hansen, who works at the NBL, fantastic. Op- one of the one of the, the smoothest operators you will find in, in any uh-huh. business, Lauren Hansen. She's fantastic. But she gave me a call and said, oh, sports better looking for someone to do their NBL videos, mm-hmm. like the, the, the pregame sort of one. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, well, this is huge. Of course. I remember watching Nathan Brown do those. I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll so I went in and did a screen test and I was so nervous for the screen test. I completely botched it completely. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when I was standing there doing the thing, I was like messing up my words. I was like talking about, <laughs> I think I was talking about footy at one point. I was like, you do a mm-hmm. basketball, like messed it up completely. But then they said, you know what? We got no one else. <laughs> no one else to do it. And then I jumped into it and luckily, you know, I was just nervous in there because I knew I really needed the job. <laughs> I had no, no other sort of prospect there. I needed this job. Yeah. And luckily I got it. And, you know, from then on, I started getting better and better at that, feeling super confident with it. And it's, it's like anything, the more you practice with it, the better you get. And then eventually mm-hmm. sort of I started doing a podcast as well with Sportsbed and it just yeah. evolved to now where, you know, I, I do pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. So... And then some other things within the business as well. So it's, you know, I'm always, you always look back at people that have opened doors for you. And I know that just that one phone call from Lauren yeah, opened up this entire, you know, I'm, I'm all of a sudden on the, 
the Cup Day broadcast. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> like that. Like it's, it's quite a quick, you link everything back and it's quite amazing that, and I always tell mm-hmm. that to people who are struggling in this industry, which is a really, really tough industry for work. Mm-hmm. You never know. Your mm-hmm. phone could ring tomorrow. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's an opportunity that could lead to something else or it's, it's also the you never know who's watching sort of thing. Yeah. Like it's, you know, someone watching Derby Day and they think, oh, geez, he's energetic. We could use mm-hmm. him on, on <laughs> or something like that as a network watching because obviously, you know, as much as, you know, you might have to drag me kicking and screaming at a sports bet because I, I mm-hmm. never want to leave, mm-hmm. you do have aspirations <laughs> to go on and do network-related things and mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, jump on the Today Show or something like that. <laughs> something along those sort of lines. <laughs> a bit of morning TV. Yeah. But, but yeah, you just, you never know who's watching with that sort of stuff. And there's so many opportunities. And I, I was lucky that the opportunity that I had presented itself right when I needed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned your own podcast, um, the Trash Talk podcast with yourself and um, your friend, recent podcast guest, Peter Hawley. Um, I've listened Hawley's to it. Are coming on this one as well. Yeah, he's on. Oh, no. Yeah, he's still got him just oh, before you, got you too. Everyone, Max. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I've listened to it, but for the listeners out there, um, what's the show about and what's your favourite part um, about your own podcast? With well, Sports the Bear? interesting thing with that one is I've had to call an end to it. Oh. So there will be. A, this is an exclusive for the yeah. Sporting Max podcast. <laughs> I, I haven't put this out there yet. But mm-hmm. it's just it, it, it's it's a little bit time consuming for mm-hmm. everything that I'm trying to do at, at the mm-hmm. moment. So and, and I sort of want to take a bit of a step back with the NBL and just enjoy it because I'm doing so much elsewhere. Yeah. With other things. I, I do kind of just want to enjoy watching the NBL and mm-hmm. not having to sit there and critique mm-hmm. players that I'm friends with, yeah. that I like. And I think that. Personally, my, I have a connection with a lot of people in the NBL mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I don't enjoy too much having to sit there. And we live in a hot take world where mm-hmm. you've got to have a, an opinion to generate a headline and that yeah. sort of stuff. And sometimes that involves, you know, saying things that aren't too friendly. <laughs> and I, I just think it's not as much the way I wanted to go about it. So we are going to mm-hmm. have a couple of other things on ESPN and, and a few other things in the works, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for trash talk, and you never know, maybe we'll bring it back with a friendlier version of me, and I'll, I'll do it a bit later. But yeah, I think this, this season we'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll put it on ice because obviously we're very busy at Sportsbet, and we've got a whole bunch mm-hmm. of different things we're working on and and stuff like that. So we'll be being replaced with another show mm-hmm. that I'm doing. But unfortunately, that won't be an NBL one. Ah, oh. another one. So <laughs> it is it better. Maybe, yeah, you never know. Maybe maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it comes back at some point, but it's just you got to put your priorities in different yeah. areas. <laughs> and um, the Sporting Max podcast is too much competition now. So what are we oh! going to do? Taking, you're not only got our hosts on this yeah. show, you're taking our listeners as well. So. Oh. <laughs> um, now the NBL, NBL 1 or the SEABL, I mean, you've played at Danny Nong, Kilpseth, um, and now the Melbourne Tigers. Obviously, NBL 1's um, maybe a level below the NBL. Playing in this league, um, how do you find the competition? I love it. I absolutely love it because for me, I've always played basketball in a high-stress sort of environment. You know, you're always looking to make the next team. When you're playing mm-hmm. on a Friday night, juniors, you're looking to make the state team. Yeah. When you make the state team, you're looking to make the national team. When you make the national mm-hmm. team, you're looking to make college, college to NBL. So you're always, you've got pressure on yourself. Every shot mm-hmm. you miss, you're like, ah, oh, like that sort of stuff. Yeah. Where, if you look at my stats in the NBA one, I wasn't too concerned with missing from the three-point line. <laughs> I was just enjoying putting them up. So mm-hmm. it was I enjoyed for the first time last season just going mm-hmm. out there. And you know what? If I have a bad game, it doesn't matter. 
Yeah. It's, you know, we just want to go out there and win, but there's, there's no external mm-hmm. pressure for me to perform because if I score zero points or I score a hundred points, mm-hmm. it's not going to affect my job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of thing. I might get roasted in the group chat, but mm-hmm. that's about it. But, but I do, I love what they're doing with the NBL one because what it provides mm-hmm. is all the games are streamed online, which mm-hmm. is huge. There's highlights packages. It looks like a professional league, which for the most yeah. part, it is. So when guys come and play in this league and they want to go to college, they have high quality film. Yeah. When imports come over, the league looks, it looks like the issue in mm-hmm. Europe sometimes. You've got these leagues at a high level mm-hmm. and guys are getting $300,000 to play in it. Mm-hmm. But there's volleyball lines on the court. And there's a guy smoking a dart in the corner of the gym. Like it's, it's a high level league, but there's just no professionalism to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the NBL one, there's a lot of professionalism with it. And that's mm-hmm. what Larry Kesselman's done. He, he's long has there been sort of a massive gap for players in Australia where unless you went to the AIS, mm-hmm. you had, and I was lucky enough to do that. But unless you went to the AIS, there was no, you know, you could play big V, but no one was watching. Yeah. Stuff like that. Whereas now you've got the NBL one, which is so closely associated with the NBL that young guys mm-hmm. can come into these teams and automatically, you know, you look at Dyson Daniels was was a Bendigo. Yeah. Uh, Josh Giddy was even considering just started, don't give you started on Josh Giddy. <laughs> he was considering playing for Melbourne, jumping in last year for a couple of games. Wow. He's got a big connection with the club, which would have been yeah. he, he, we might have got one more win. Be, <laughs> he may have jumped in there. But no, it's the, the professionalism for me is what stands out. And I love that it's provided a pathway for players to get noticed that may have been lost between the cracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned the AIS. What are the facilities like um, at the Australian Institute of Sport? And can you briefly touch on your time there? Oh, they're, they're amazing. I think the um, the house parents had a handful mm-hmm. with me. I know on my first <laughs> night, my first night there, I was with me and Mirko Jeric, who mm-hmm. plays in the NBL now up at Cairns. Cairns, yeah, chasing me around the the sort of the pod. Like, Shut up! Shut up! You've got rowers that have to get up at like four a.m. Mm-hmm. in the same building and stuff like that. But the cool thing about the AAS was that was you were playing against the best of the best in the country mm-hmm. three times a day, mm-hmm. every single day. You know, you'd be matching up with Dante Exum. You'd be, mm-hmm. you'd be playing against Mirko, stuff like this every single day. So it was such a good place to get better mm-hmm. and. Also, to enjoy the Canberra nightlife, <laughs> I made it over there, made it because I turned eighteen just mm-hmm. as I went there. So yeah, it was sort of the perfect timing for me. Two <laughs> heads in Canberra and a few other places. Everyone who went to the AS has their sort of favourite memories of their, their first proper nights out being yeah <laughs> over, over there and with the weird Canberra locals. Mm-hmm. But no, the, the AIS as a whole was fantastic. It, it's sort of sad to see. Mm-hmm. what it's turned into overall basketball's managed to hold on to a piece of the pie and i think they do well with that nba global academy but you know the, the rest of it it's you know teams mm-hmm. now obviously as that's the center of excellence yeah <laughs> the movie zoolander it mm-hmm. sounds like something out of that the center of excellence <laughs> but um yeah teams doing their own thing elsewhere but there was a time there where the as was i, I sort of got there right at the end of when it was we were ma- probably the only it was us and then most other sports just did camps there so we were the only ones really living there permanently mm-hmm. in a pod of six guys, which was to, would just get absolutely out of the <laughs> you know, I, I, I sort of digress here, but I was, I remember me and Dante Exum, mm-hmm. dishes stacked up in the house. Oh, wow. Like, oh, man, like, we've never, I've never had to wash dishes. I'm not washing these dishes. <laughs> so we took him to the shower and just started using the pressure washer. Oh. 
<laughs> on this like this massive stack of dishes and yeah there's stuff like that like it's you got know, these memories i remember dante's scared of spiders and i'm equally as scared and no mm-hmm. one else in the house is scared of spiders i hear this mm-hmm. massive noise at like 4 a.m he's come running around banging on my door spiders, <laughs> i was like what are you doing here what are you doing? <laughs> i hate him just as much so anyway one of the guys ended up shooing the spider out the window of mm-hmm. the spray. And then I wake up in the morning and the spider's crawled around the house on the outside. It's coming to my window. <laughs> it's in my place in the morning. So mm-hmm. no, there was a lot of that. There was, you know, there's stuff where you, I remember I once said to Fabian Krislovich, who plays for uh, the Jack Jumpers at the moment, he mm-hmm. wanted a haircut. So he pulled the old, you know, put the clippers down to zero and <laughs> Right over it. So there was a lot of that sort of stuff that went on there, which made it a lot of fun. Like I, I don't remember the practices. Mm-hmm. I don't remember us having to run lines because I kept my locker dirty. Yeah. That sort of stuff. But I, I remember all those sort of moments, which which made it really fun. And I think that is something that some of the kids miss out on these days. Um, Josh Giddy, like you said before, I mean, he's been incredible so far. This NBA season, only person at his age alongside LeBron James um to record a double double. Um, what's it like to watch him go, you know, from the Melbourne Tigers like yourself um, to the NBA? It's amazing. And, and look, I know, I know Josh. I've, I've, I've known Josh growing up. Like, w- mm-hmm. watched him as a kid running yeah. around. when Because when I played sort of under-16s, he was in under-12s. Or I think mm-hmm. he, was even, he was playing under-12s, but he was much younger. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it's weird. I cannot wrap my head around the fact that this guy is, is, is playing so well. Because I, I just think of him mm-hmm. and Josh Giddy like trying to rebound for us and stuff. Yeah. We were the under- we, were, we were the big dogs back then. Yeah. I don't know how the tables have turned. <laughs> the tables have turned now. But no, he's a fantastic kid. But I, yeah, I, when I saw that he was going to get drafted that high, I was a little bit concerned because I was mm-hmm. like, okay, he's 18 years old. His body doesn't look like it's ready. Mm-hmm. The NBL is a huge step up. So the NBA is a huge step up physically from the NBL. Mm-hmm. Skill-wise, I think you can still the, the space and no one plays defense in the NBA, so it's sort of yeah. you, can, you can still put up some points. But I thought, God, the defensive end is going to be tough. He's going to mm-hmm. get out muscled, and then he just comes out and, as many people over my life have proved, make, to make me an idiot, yeah, and just come out and dominate. You know, he's in he's genuine year conversation against guys yeah. that are twenty years old and twenty-one years old, mm-hmm. and he's just turned nineteen, which you he's know. Incredible. It's, it's, incredible i think that with all this ben simmons drama going on we've finally got this you know this this shining this, light in the dark yeah. <laughs> obviously it doesn't have a spot at the moment and, and really hoping that he can find one i think he finds one before the um the season's out he'll definitely mm-hmm. find a home because he's too good of a defender yeah to be out of the NBA for that long. but he's had a lot of injuries too that's the hard Dante. thing and, you know, he's, he's had a 30 point game in the nba he's proven that he, he's an nba quality player and, and he's proved that in the Tokyo Olympics too. That sort of stuff. And it's just, you look at him and yeah. he just throws him, he throws himself around the court. <laughs> so every second possession, he's on the ground somewhere and mm-hmm. you, you can see how he gets injured so much, mm-hmm. which is annoying. But uh, the, the situation with the Rockets, you know, they were sort of, he was dependent on John Wall getting traded. Yeah. And they couldn't find a trade because no one really wanted John Wall's contract. And then they were <laughs> sort of left with, well, you know, sorry, but yeah, you know, we thought this was going to happen. So it's not like a, it wasn't that he underperformed and he got let yeah. go from Houston. It was just a, the NBA is a business and it was a business mm-hmm. decision that they had to get rid of the contract that would lose them the least amount of money mm-hmm. when they couldn't trade John Wall. So, yeah, but Josh Giddy, Yeah. <laughs> the sky's the limit. Like if he's, do, if he's doing this at 19, mm-hmm. I can't imagine what he's going to be like once he gets to 21. Because the, the kid's a hard worker as well and he's got yeah. a really good family behind him. Wazza, I, I tweeted Wazza. out the other day, 
I cannot wait till the American media. They like Crocodile Dundee. Yeah. I wait till they get a hold of Warwick Giddy because it's <laughs> yeah. out there at the moment. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the Melbourne Cup before. What was the day like for you uh, yesterday from your perspective? It was amazing, absolutely amazing. So our broadcast booth was um, right behind the mounting yard. So we sort of looked back, you know, behind me is all the horses and yeah. walking around the yard, which I can tell you doesn't smell too good once you get to race. <laughs> but no, it's amazing because I've always, so I, I love big sporting events, mm-hmm. like worldwide sporting events. And that's why I love the sort of theatre of mm-hmm. racing so much because there's nothing like it's the hairs. Even when I was doing my sort of updates and, and pre- previewing the cup and, talking about where the money's going and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. I got the hair standing up at the back of my neck because it's like, man, <laughs> as a kid, I've always watched this race. I've always mm-hmm. loved this race. And now I'm I'm sitting here, you know, I, I never really got to go that much as a kid because I was always playing basketball. Mm-hmm. And now I'm sitting here with a microphone in my hand and I've got incentivized walking yeah. five metres away from me. <laughs> I still think goes down as one of the greatest racehorses of all time by the time mm-hmm. that horse's cool is done. And then you got very elegant and all these horses where it's like, you know, yeah, you got $50 million worth of flesh. Yeah, right <laughs> over there but no it's just cool you know when the, the bugle goes off for each race and and you know they're, they're playing the anthem before it and you're sort of sitting mm-hmm. there previewing it it's yeah no it, it was a re- that was the most special like i enjoyed all the days that i do but yeah up day for me is just there there is something special about that they say the race that stops the nation for a reason because mm-hmm. it's just it's just an, an unbelievable spectacle uh, so who was a part of your broadcast team um yesterday uh so it was nigel carmody yeah. Comedy does a bit of uh, does a bit of footy with Channel Seven as well. So the hard thing was that COVID had actually ripped through. So with the exposure side, so originally, mm-hmm. you know, there was a couple of guys that were going to do the, uh, the the form side of things. Yeah, and then some of the other guys had to get the call up last minute because wow. the exposure side. So it was Nick yeah. Ashman, Brent Prentzer, Rafa, one of the one of the best guys in racing there, and Michael Walker. As well, who's an unbelievable jockey who's t- taken a year off at the moment. He'll be back in the saddle next year, but he's working with us on the broadcast um, this year, and he's been fantastic. Like God, him talking to James McDonald, mm-hmm. just getting all those they were talking about when they, you know, used to ride together. And I might be getting a bit of race, <laughs> racing jargon here, but you know, back when he had a four kilo climber as an apprentice, and they ride mm-hmm. together to the races, and now to see him win a Melbourne Cup like that, and mm-hmm. the, you know, the emotion—that's probably one touching on that last question. The emotion of that is just yeah. amazing. You look at these jockeys come, it's almost every one of them is, is crying. You know, J-Mac could barely get a word out after the cup. Yeah. It's so special to them. When you're a jockey, winning the Melbourne Cup is the, the yeah. pinnacle. <laughs> and it's, you know, lucky for him, his horse was scratched. Unfortunately, it stepped on the nail. The horse was fine, <laughs> but his horse was scratched in the next race. So he's actually mm-hmm. able to sit back and enjoy it for a moment. But mm-hmm. no, it's, yeah, very, 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 very special. But what those jockeys, you know, put themselves through in the saunas and not eating oh. and starving themselves, it's insane. Amazing. Like, it's, you know, our, our major racing guide, sports bet Simon Marshall, mm-hmm. won 16 group ones. And wow. he says, like, he tells these just horror stories of, you know, mm-hmm. and, and times have changed a lot since when SD was a jockey. Yeah. That was a long time ago. The practices are a lot friendlier. Yeah. Still very tough. Still very tough. Yeah. But. Yeah, you know, he, he speaks of lying under the table at a restaurant because he couldn't stand to look at the food because he wasn't oh. eating anything because yeah. he had such a low-calorie diet. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, you know, there's dietitians and, and all that sort of stuff that help these guys. But, yeah, the, the saunas and jockeys are an interesting breed, I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Running around. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so if you could meet uh, or speak to anyone in the world, who would it be? Ooh. Anyone in the world. I would say Kobe, but unfortunately, yeah. 
We lost him. Hmm. Anyone in the world? I always say, I always like to think about these ones. From a sporting standpoint, I do think I actually think it would be LeBron. If, if I can yeah. choose anyone from a sporting standpoint, it would be LeBron. Because the one thing I admire about LeBron, apart from being one of the best basketball, well, the best basketball player, mm-hmm. on the planet, maybe not getting hold of it, I'm still the greatest of all time potentially. The fact that through all of this stuff, like you know, we look at you know, I'll, I'll get messages on my phone sometimes from people that don't like horse racing or yes. like yesterday, you know, the, the phone will blow up with all these all these people and then everyone's entitled mm-hmm. to their opinion. I don't reply to them. I don't say anything. You know, you, you can have your opinion. I'll just leave it. I'm not going to reply to it. Mm-hmm. But um, such is the, when you work in the gambling space, you're always going to get a, a, a bit of that. Yeah. <laughs> but the fact of LeBron, like you look at LeBron cops so much unnecessary hate mm-hmm. for no reason. Yet it just doesn't phase him at all. He doesn't care. Mm-hmm. He just keeps going. He doesn't, you know, usually doesn't even make a note of it. Sometimes he just laughs on Instagram and says, mm-hmm. what is my life? Like, I think I got got a lot of admiration for the fact that a guy like that Mm -hmm. can just completely block out. Like, I can't imagine the frustration of being one of the best basketball players of all time, but then just consistently disrespected in the media and and that sort of stuff. So I think, yeah, I reckon LeBron. What about you? Oh, oh, ah, in the world. See, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? I know, sporting point. I think I've got my standards at the moment at someone like Josh Giddy. I just I'm obsessed with Josh Giddy and I can't um get enough of watching him, how he moves to the bucket, like and he's three he's worked on his three-point game so much over between the NBL and the NBA season. Um and yeah, I'll, I'll hopefully hoping hoping to get him on here soon. Oh, you'll get you'll get him on, I reckon. <laughs> You're going to have everyone in Australia at some point. You've got the, the, the best podcast library of any host. <laughs> Thank you. Um, now, where's your favourite place um, you've been for basketball? Favourite place? Ooh, mm-hmm. I would probably say outside of America, because mm-hmm. obviously America is the favourite place. You know, I love going to these different. There's, I'll give you my best and my worst. Mm-hmm. The best, obviously, in America would be Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. when we played against the Longhorns. Absolutely loved it over there. Um, I loved it over in Kaunas, Prague. Yeah. Prague was really cool. So Prague, a bit of a history lesson. The war <laughs> stopped on both sides of, of Prague. Mm-hmm. So it was all the architecture and everything there is, is pristine, whereas mm-hmm. everything else got destroyed sort of around it. <laughs> so they, they just got saved in the middle there. But it's just an unbelievable, like you look at it and you're like, it looks like it's a postcard mm-hmm. when you're standing there. The worst place I have ever played is North Dakota. Now, <laughs> It is so cold in North Dakota when we were there that you are not allowed to be outside for more. They stay in the hotel. They're like, oh, you know, people aren't to be outside for more than 30 seconds. What? Because it was so cold. Wow. You walk outside and your skin feels like it just goes like, like I can't even explain oh. the feeling of how, and the wind coming mm-hmm. there. Because obviously being an arrogant Australian, that yeah. thinks they're tougher than everyone when you <laughs> go over there, you go, oh, I was wear a, well, I'll wear a tracksuit. That'll be fine. Yeah. And it just pierces through it. And it's mm-hmm. like, you get to the oh. gym, it's like, it doesn't matter how much heating you've got there, it's still cold. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the people are yelling at you in the crowd and you're like, you live here. Like, how can you, you can't yell at me. You live yeah. here. <laughs> There's yeah. nothing that I can do on this court that is, makes me worse off than you. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. So I'm sort of always, <laughs> and I always had bad games there because I hated being there. Mm-hmm. We played there twice a year. So it was definitely North Dakota. One place I will never be back. Yeah. Um, who's the best basketballer you think um, who you've played with or against? Mm. 
so I think that the, the person where I came up against him and I thought, okay, there's actively no way that we can stop this guy would be Shabazz Napier when he played mm. for UConn in their national yeah. championship year. We came up against Shabazz Napier and he had, we had kept him. And when I say we kept him to about, I think he had about six points with 10 minutes to go mm-hmm. in the game. That's that he missed his shots. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't keep him to anything. He just missed mm-hmm. his shots. But then we were like, oh, we're in this. It was like a three-point game. We lost by 30 in the final 10 minutes. I oh. think we had 26 points. <laughs> just you, you couldn't stop him. Yet. And that was the year that LeBron was talking about him, saying we want to get him. Mm-hmm. And then LeBron said, I want him at Miami. He got drafted to Miami and LeBron leaves the next day. So, <laughs> um, maybe he does get some necessary criticism. Mm-hmm. But no, I think it would be Shabazz Napier. He was the hardest where you look at it. Like, okay, well, we sent three guys at mm-hmm. him. And it, it didn't really pan out in the NBA for him. Mm-hmm. And with some guys it doesn't, but he's definitely the guy where it's okay. This guy is virtually impossible to stop. Jalil uh, Okafor mm-hmm. as well, that played for Philly. Mm-hmm. Not sure exactly where he's at now, but in the under 17s, he was the same damn size that he is now. Yeah. And just like, <laughs> okay, what do we what do we do here? Nick Duncan, our centre, mm-hmm. who went to Boise State. Now he works as an accountant over in Boise. In uh, Boise, he does really, really well, really well financially. Um, he, I think he broke his nose twice that tournament because he was out oh. on the big, and he was just coming up against Jalil. <laughs> <laughs> so he was putting his body on the line for us. But yeah, definitely those two. Uh, who, uh, what do you think is the who's the best player? You know, you've actually played with the best. I'd say Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, yeah. Maybe an unpopular person at the moment. Yeah, at the time. Yeah, in terms of a guy with just an innate ability to find the open man at mm-hmm. his size, there's just nothing. There's there's nothing, you know, in the NBA, there's athletes that can potentially get up against him. I think once he gets his all his stuff sorted, he's going to be, you know, back to his all-star ways. But yeah, yeah, he'd, he'd definitely be up there as just the absolute most talented individual player that I've ever been on the court mm-hmm. with. And I'll tell you what, Mirko Jerek, the plays for Cairns, mm-hmm. he's a really relaxed guy, but skill-wise... He's right up there as well. This guy was playing heavy minutes in the NBL at 16 years old. Yeah. We were at the AIS. Now, he sort of, he peaked really early. Mm-hmm. But again, one of the, one, just incredibly talented guy. He was right up there, you know, taking it to Dante when we were at the AIS. Yeah. <laughs> that sort of stuff. So supremely talented. Um, tomato sauce and fridge or cupboard. Is oh, the side up. In the cupboard. In the cupboard. In the cupboard, oh, the no. we're in the fridge because I'm gonna put. So here's the thing, Max. Yeah, yeah. If I've got myself a hot pie, yeah, I'm not. Oh, you don't, you don't want cold pie. sauce on it. Yeah, I'm not putting cold sauce. <laughs> on it. That's sick. Yeah. Oh. Uh, oh. How do I leave? How do I leave this? How do I get out of here? <laughs> um, just one last question before we go. Um, what would be your best advice to anyone uh, who wants to be a basketballer or me person? Um, and be successful like yourself. I think from a basketball standpoint, and all of all of this stuff, I'll tell you what, this probably find your number one thing. So whether mm-hmm. it's in a basketball sense, whether it's shooting the ball, mm-hmm. whether it's in a media sense, for me, it's being bringing a bit of liveliness to yeah. broadcast, being a bit sort of, you know, racing. Usually it's yeah. a bit uh, like that. I like to be up and about making yeah. jokes about the names of some of these horses, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like it's find your one little thing that's going to make a point of difference. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a point of difference, then you know anyone can take your job. Anyone mm-hmm. can come in there. Whereas if you create that point of difference in basketball, you may work on all your skills, of course, but if you're an elite shooter, an mm-hmm. absolutely elite shooter, 
Is there a market gap for that at the moment? You've got to be an elite shooter, but how many guys can just handle the ball like none other at the moment? I think that's yeah. what we might be losing. So find that one thing where you say, okay, every single day, that's my go-to. Mm-hmm. It's like for me on air, if I'm mm-hmm. unprepared or something, you know what? Well, I'm just going to bring a whole bunch more energy and make up mm-hmm. for it. <laughs> so just find the one thing that makes you different to the person next to you. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to go anywhere. All right. Thanks, Felix. Um for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, for putting aside, you know, I think it was an hour or so of your time um, to come on and have a chat. It's been an absolute honour. Thanks, mate. I absolutely love this as well. Love what you're doing with the podcast. And I reckon you better not be coming and taking my job in a few weeks. <laughs> Thanks, Felix. Really appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Great job, mate. Thanks. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sporting Max. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify or YouTube and be sure to follow our socials. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link. This is The Voice of Melbourne and we'll see you back here real soon for another episode of Sporting Max.